You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. I'm beginning a new series on the teachings of Jesus, and it's important to note that the Lord has instructed us and gives us teaching for life. I may know it'd be difficult to try and live life without any instruction or guidance. We just prayed for our students here. And we've done our best to try and instruct them and guide them with the hope that as they get older, they'll follow those things. To not have directions or instructions or guidance is difficult when you're trying to walk through life. So we're going to be doing a new series on the teachings of Jesus, and I want us to look at not the parables, we've already done that, not the miracles, we've already done that as well, but we're going to be looking at his uh, implicit teachings and his commands. And today we're going to be focusing on surprising strategies for dealing with toxic people. Now, what is a toxic person? A toxic person that is, a, is a person that either manipulates or does harm. A person that's a per, someone who brings persecution. Someone who could be considered an enemy of yours. We all have people like that in our lives. And if we don't, it means that we've lived a very sheltered and isolated life. Basically, any time that you walk this life and you have an opinion or an idea that's different than the norm, you're going to sometimes upset people, and there's going to be people that sometimes... Uh, kind of set themselves up against you. So you should know that that's going to happen. You shouldn't think it's strange when it happens. Instead, you should come to expect it, and there's a way of dealing with it. Now, there's our way of dealing with it, which is not always Christian. Now, listen, we could talk to people in church and say, well, I let that person have a piece of my mind, or if I had my gun with them, I'd show them what for, or I was just going to hit them across the face. And you're just like, are we even still talking about Christians at this point in time? We have to understand this. We're not dealing with the world and our enemies the way that we would deal with them. But we're going to deal with them the way that Jesus instructed us to deal with them. And his strategies are a little, let's just say, different than our own. His his approach is a lot more different than our own. So I want us to take a look at that today because, you know, as Christians, we are called disciples of Christ which means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow not only, you know, listen, we love his love and his grace and his kindness and his Holy Spirit. We love those things. But to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, means you follow his instruction and his teaching. One of the things that Jesus did is that he taught the multitudes as well. He taught them about faith. He taught them about God. He taught them about morality. So we are to follow Christ as our teacher. Now he teaches us, his followers, how to respond in the spirit instead of our own flesh, our own sinful nature. Jesus is teaching us a different operating system than the one that comes standard with you. So you think about a computer, you think about your car, you think about the other things that you have. Some things you buy has a standard operating system. It has preloaded on it, whether it's Windows 11 or whether it's the latest Android version or whether it's the latest OS operating system for your Apple. These are things that come preloaded on. Did you know today that you come preloaded with a nature and disposition that tends to be a little difficult when it comes to hard and difficult people? Am I right? So our our operating system says, you know, if someone harms me, I'm going to harm them back. Someone speaks ill of me, I'm going to do the same thing back to them. That's our nature. That's the way that we are. That was kind of put into us when we were born. 
But Jesus is teaching us a different system than what we were born with. We have to unlearn what we've already learned about how to handle things. And these strategies that Jesus gives us are opposite to what we want to do. Now I want us to look at one of the many teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And if you can turn there together, we're going to be walking through it uh, verse at a time. And it starts off in verse 27. Jesus begins by saying, but I say to you. Now this is a parallel passage to Matthew's gospel, which contrasts the Old Testament law or even the code of conduct of the day with you have heard it said. So for example, uh, you have heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know, these are things that were part of the Old Testament law, and they were a part of the culture of that day, that if someone's done wrong to you, you should do wrong back to them. But when he says, I say to you, he's presenting a different way of looking at things and doing things. Jesus goes on to say uh, the next few verses, and these principles are surprising and challenging. These are not the tactics we would normally use when dealing with enemies or dealing with toxic people. But rather, these are tests of Christ-like character. And one of the things we must ask ourselves when we read this is, did Jesus do these things? Did he practice what he preached? If you were to look at how Jesus died and then look at the different verses we're going to talk about here, we should ask ourselves the question, when Jesus says, don't do this in the face of your enemies, did he follow that same guideline? And we can emphatically say, yes, he practiced what he preached. He turned the other cheek. He did not curse those that were cursing him. He allowed things to be taken from him at the cross. He allowed himself to be hurt on the cross. And so these are the things that Jesus asks of us. So I'm going to give you these strategies, and we're going to kind of just go through them one at a time. Number one, first and foremost, be loving. Verse 27, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Now, love doesn't always mean like, okay? That's an important distinction. I thought that, you know, loving means that I have to love them like I love my family. I have to love them like I love my close friends. And love doesn't always mean that you like what a person does. To give you an example, you can be a parent and your kids can be doing whatever they think is best in their mind and heart. And it might drive you crazy. It might even make you mad. But it doesn't mean that you don't love your child, your son or your daughter, any less. Your love is still present for them even though you don't like what they're doing. Love is also pity and compassion. It doesn't mean that you love what they do. Instead, you choose to see your enemies with the eyes of Jesus. Looking at your enemies and your persecutors and the dysfunctional people and the toxic people in your life and looking at them with the eyes of Jesus, seeing them as lost and broken people who need salvation. And that's a different perspective of looking at people. Because when we look at people, we all we see is what they are to us. Right? We see them as like, that person's annoying, that person's obnoxious, that person's dishonest, that person is a suck-up, whatever the case might be. We don't like them at work, we don't like them in our family, and we only see them in terms of what they are to us. But the challenge that Jesus is giving us here is to love your enemies and, and to pray for those who hate you and to do good for those who hate you. 
is to see them with the love that God has for them as lost and broken people. Loving your enemies doesn't mean you try and hug it out. Okay? If you don't like them and they don't like you, it doesn't mean like, hey, I'm going to try and hug this out. But instead it means you respond in a loving way towards toxic and difficult people. Choose to do good, not evil, towards those who hate you. So number one is be loving. Number two, speak blessings. Verse 28 says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. As followers of Christ, our words are to be life-giving, peaceable, and full of the Holy Spirit. We don't resort to speech or dialogue that non-Christians or unbelievers use, whether it be using foul language, gossip, slander, or wishing evil on our enemies. That's not the language that is supposed to be inherent and part of the character of a follower of Jesus. Instead, we're to pray for those who use you or mistreat you. Notice that it doesn't say to allow them to continue to do that. Instead, it it tells us to pray for them. Now, I will fully admit that that is not the immediate response that comes to mind, but it is the response that Jesus modeled. Think of Jesus on the cross. He's being nailed to the cross, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for them. I don't know about you. If I would have the same courage, the same thought process, to pray for those that would be doing me harm, whether it be financial harm, harm to my reputation, harm to my physical being, I don't think I'd have that in me to do so. But rather, we are to be people that bless and not curse. Let's consider this for a moment. If we respond with malice towards those who mistreat us, it doesn't change them at all. In fact, they are looking for that sometimes. How many know people in your life that they're just looking for a reaction? Sometimes there are people in your own family that are just doing things to get under your skin and just get a reaction out of you. You know what happens when you don't? You don't give them the satisfaction of getting under your skin. You don't give them the the sense of uh, joy that they have, that twisted sense of joy that, "Ah, I got him, or some Christian you are. Look at the way that you responded. I didn't think you talked that way. Some, Some believer you are. And they got out of you what they wanted to get out of you, but you have to understand that's not what God wants to come out of you. Instead, choose to be different. Romans 12, verses 20 and 21, gives us this interesting phrase or sentence from the Apostle Paul. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Oh, I'll feed him. I hope he chokes on it. No, not that. (laughs) If he's thirsty, I'll give him a second. Oh, I'll give him something to drink. No, that's not what he means by that. In doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Yes, heap burning coals on his head. Burn him. No, not, we're not talking about that. But what, rather, what Paul is writing, he says, you know, overcome your enemy, not by doing evil, but by doing good. Because a person that's evil and has evil intents, that has dysfunction in their spirit, that is twisted on the inside, they don't know what to do with that. They know what to do when, when you respond in kind. If you cuss them out, they've got some more for you. And they've got a little bit of a better backlog than you do. 
They've got a little bit more experience in that than you do. You say, well, I'll fight them. And that might work, but you know, what's the outcome going to be after the fact? Are you going to end up being, having the police called on you? Is there going to be a domestic dispute? Are you going to spend the night in jail? Or is your name going to be in the paper? We don't think about those things. We just think, well, I'm going to do this. And sometimes that's the very thing that they want from you. But when we respond in a different way, they actually don't know what to do with it. When it says they'll burn, heap burning coals upon their head, it doesn't mean they'll harm them, but rather God's conviction may fall on them. And they might feel badly. Maybe they'll feel badly. I found usually not. But this is not about them. It's about you and how you stand and how you walk before God. That's the key in this. Luke 6, 28 says to pray for them. This is the second way we bless them because we might be the only person that ever prays for such a nasty, horrible, and difficult person. Think of that person that just drives you crazy right now. Think of that. <laughs> don't look at anybody else. In this. Don't look to your neighbor and do that. That's awful. Stop that. But, but like, think of that nasty, horrible person in your life and think to yourself, ask yourself the question, is anybody praying for that person? And probably you could say emphatically no. There's probably a bunch of people that wish the same thing that I wish on them, right? But what if you were to pray for them? Because sometimes our words won't change them, but our prayers will. We have the opportunity to bless and not curse. What we speak becomes reality. What we have faith for becomes truth. We have to understand that, you know, when we speak blessings, blessings come to other people. When we speak curses, that's just as equally as powerful. But we choose to be people who bless others and pray for others as well. Thirdly, verse 29 from Luke 6. Be peaceful. Be peaceful. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And for him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now wait a minute, Pastor. If somebody hits me, I'm going to hit them back. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say that these were my words. I didn't say these were my strategies. These are Jesus' strategies, okay? Did he employ that when he was struck upon the cheek, when they pulled out fistfuls of his beard, when they nailed him to the cross? Did he, did he swing? Did he try and get back? <laughs> Can you imagine? How different would the story of the crucifixion be if Jesus had to be subdued? Isaiah says that as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so the Lord went to, as a lamb to the slaughter. And so we have to look at it this way. It's like, and and the, the story of the cross has power in it because it's not what we would expect, especially not from the Lord. Now, I didn't say that it would be easy, but when it comes to turning the other cheek, it means do not retaliate. To turn the other cheek both physically and metaphorically, if you've watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge, you know the story of a gentleman who was in the military who was a pacifist, refused to carry a rifle, refused to fight in the war, but he was a medic and he helped others and he helped evacuate his entire battalion when they were pinned down. Miraculously so. A pacifist. Now, is that saying that we need to be pacifists too? No, there's times where we do have to stand up for ourselves. But we must choose not to retaliate with what we have received. In other words, when we have the opportunity to tear down, destroy, or fight, choose not to because Jesus chose not to. 
The reason why he didn't is because he recognized the cross was part of God's plan, and he was going into it peacefully. Remember the context here. Jesus is speaking to his followers that they would be persecuted and face difficulty. He contends that if you're taking advantage for the cause of Christ, then you should not fight or resist that. Okay? So Jesus knows going to the cross is the Father's will for him. This doesn't have to do with if something happens that's against God's will. Like if you know you're going as a missionary and you know that certain death could await you and you know that that's a possibility, you go into it knowing this is God's will for me and whatever happens, happens. He's either going to protect me or he's going to not protect me. But either way, I'm still walking with him and I'm still serving him. It's important to know the difference between whether or not you're walking in God's will or not. I didn't say it would be easy, but who better to learn how to be peaceful from than the Prince of Peace, Jesus. In his Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Matthew 5, 9. Being a peacemaker is an identifying characteristic of the people who belong to God. In Galatians 6, when we read about putting on the full armor of God, one of the pieces of the full armor of God are the shoes of the gospel of peace. Romans talks about it. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. In other words, what's your part in it? Are you contributing to the conflict or are you doing your best to be peaceful and to be a peace bringer? Being a peacemaker, not a peace taker. In other words, when you come into a situation, do you bring calm or do you amp it up to 11 by creating strife or complaining or ranting about things? Listen, my last name's Valeri. I'm Italian. My family loves to rant. We love to talk. We overshare. And we don't like something we'll let you know that we don't like something. But that doesn't always calm things down, does it? It kind of brings the tension level up. What if we were to be more peaceful? Christians are to be peacemakers and peace bringers. Third is to be generous. Fourth, uh, third is to be peaceful. Fourth is to be generous. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not give them back. Give to those who ask for it. But pastor, come on now. Are you serious? Don't do it with any expectation of return. Instead, hold out the possessions loosely and view them as a means of helping others. When the book of Proverbs describes God's people, it says they are always generous, lending freely, and are blessed. When we use the resources God has given us, as we are divinely directed to do so, God will continue to use us more. It isn't always a matter of whether that person is a good investment. Hear me on this. If God directs us to help, we must trust him to take care of the results. Sometimes we people, well, I don't want to give that to that person. That person's a bad investment. They're bad with money. I got news for you. They'll continue to be bad with money. People who are bad with money just continue to be bad with money. So there are times where it's saying, okay, well, I'm going to give to them, but like I'm reluctant to give because I know it's like throwing money in a hole and nothing's going to come of that. But I want to say this. is like there's a difference between using wisdom and saying, okay, I don't want to enable this person's laziness or I don't want to enable this person's addiction. There's a difference between that and being divinely directed to help somebody. If God says, give to this individual... 
help this person out, we shouldn't argue with God and say, well, God, I don't think that's a good investment. Technically, none of us were a good investment for God. When you want to think about it, do any of us deserve grace? Do any of us deserve mercy? Do any of us deserve any of the blessings that we receive? Well, I worked for that, Pastor. Who gave you the, the ability and the skill to have those things? God did. So when we remember that everything that we have comes from God, we remember that we are the recipients of God's goodness and grace. When he directs us, we should obey. There's going to be some bad investments when it comes to helping people. I'm just going to tell you that right now. After 24 years of ministry experience, there are people that are never going to say thank you. There are going to be people that will squander what you give them. There may be people that even unfairly expect you to continue to do that when you know that it shouldn't happen. But that's not the issue. The issue is, were you obedient to help when God asked? Were you obedient to give when God instructed you to give? Listen, we're not all about like, we're not shaking you down for money or anything like that. We're not about, you know, trying to pressure you to give. Give if you want to or don't. It's fine. But I want you to know something is that when I've realized a principle in life, that when I'm faithful to give of what God's given me, surprisingly, he gives me more. I had an opportunity to help a family member a few weeks back. They needed some money. Felt the Lord laid in my heart $200. Gave them $200. I knew I wasn't going to see that again. I said, okay, God, that's yours. You want me to help them? I help them. Later on that week, my wife had a speaking engagement. She gets invited to the district office. She gets a card on the way out the door. She opens up the card. The check is in there for $200. When you're obedient, God follows it up. When you become a conduit for God's blessing, God pours more into it. We don't give to get. That's not the motivation. We give because it belongs to Him. We give it back to Him. By doing so, we're demonstrating that uh, we trust God with the most important thing in our life, the thing that can, tends to dominate all of our stress, all of our worries, all of our fears, typically is money. So when we give in that area, God sees us an opportunity to give. It's not a matter of, is the person we're giving to a bad investment? What God is asking, are you the good investment that when I give to you, you do with it what I tell you to do with it so I can give you more? The parable of the talents says that to him who is faithful with little, more was given to him. So just keep that in mind. Being generous indicates that you trust God as your source. When Jesus sent out the 12, he told them not to take a coat, a tunic, a purse, but rather rely on the kindness of whoever they encountered to let them stay in their house. When you live like that, you have to trust God for your daily needs. Fifthly, verse 31, practice the golden rule. Jesus said, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Or a more simpler way of saying it, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Not do unto others before they do it to you. There's a difference. <laughs> do things and treat people the way that you would want to be treated instead of responding to the way they treat you in the same negative way. This golden rule, as it's called, appeals to our own desires as the measuring stick for how we should treat others. Using this measuring stick, we can essentially test our responses and behaviors 
against it to see if it's the right response. So whenever you think of like what's been given to you, how people have spoken to you, how people have treated you, and you come up with the interesting ideas of how to get revenge, which by the way, I'm terrible at. So like I think about, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, and like, and I'm not nearly as clever or as sneaky as people who do this regularly are. <laughs> not that I'm trying to, or I would, even would. The Lord convicts me of it, and I repent of it. But when it comes down to it, you know, I should ask myself, okay, the thing that I'm thinking of doing to that person, would I want that done to me? And if the answer is no, then okay, I'm testing it against what Jesus said to test it. So, if we were to do it unto others as we would have to do it to ourselves, then we say, okay, should I do this? If I was on the receiving end of that, how would that feel? And that would be the thing that measures the difference there. Ask yourselves, would we want someone to slander us, to hit us, to curse us, to steal from us? If the answer is no, then obviously we shouldn't do it. Instead, we should do what we would want someone to do to us if we had made a mistake or messed up. Now, this seems like it's pretty basic, and you're like, well, pastor, okay, a message on the golden rule. I mean, I learned that when I was a kid, but it's not so much the learning of anything. It's the application, and I, I, I don't know about you, but like as an adult, it feels like that's harder to do. I feel like as I'm getting older, I put up with a, le- a lot less than I used to. I have a lot less patience. I have a lot less tolerance, and I'm not as naive as I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. Like, I know if you're lying Does that make me mad? Yes. Do I want to react to it? Sometimes. But then I have to apply to that, okay, what is the rule that Jesus set up and standard that he set up for me? The truth is that I need to do that instead of what I feel inclined to do or my reaction to doing so. Practice the golden rule. Finally, last one. You still with me? Be different. Verses 32 through 36. Well, you might already be, well be saying, well, pastor, this is pretty different. This is a different approach. And I'm not sure that I can do all this. Me too, okay? But hey, the same Holy Spirit that can help you do all things through Christ that strengthens you can help you do this too. We're like, hey, you know, we love that God can help me do anything. With your help, I can climb mountains. With your help, I can overcome armies. With your help, I can slay giants. Well, he can help you do this too. If he can help you with the bigger stuff, he can help you with the smaller stuff too. It's not necessarily letting us figure it out. It's about letting his Holy Spirit work in us. Verses 32 through 36 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the thankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying if you're only going to love the people that love you or treat you well, there's really nothing special about that. Even unbelievers and non-Christians do that. So rather be different. Do something that is unexpected. Do something that is distinctively Christ-like. 
God exhibits kindness and grace to many who do not return thanks and praise. But it's not really about that. Part of it is the change in our perspective must be that we must be remember who we are doing it for. So if we can grab hold of this one thought, it will change the way you look at all of this. You say to yourself, well, I don't want to give and lend because they're a bad investment. I don't want to help others because they're ungrateful. I don't want to be kind to nasty people because they don't appreciate it. And I just end up getting walked all over. If we remember that we're not doing it for them, we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for God. He is the investment that will reward us. He is the one that will reward us for our work. Even when people in this life do not. I always remind myself that I perform for an audience of one. Live your life as though you are performing for an audience of one. So often we walk through our lives wondering what people think of us, wondering whether they like us. Even as I got ready to walk on this platform this morning, I said, I wonder what people are going to think of me. Sometimes I second-guess myself and my skills and my abilities. But what's helpful is to remind yourself that you are doing everything for an audience of one. I'm doing it for the Lord, for His approval, for His favor, for His praise, and for His honor and for His glory. There are many times where helping others can be a thankless job. But remember, you're not working for them. Thank God, right? Think of the people you've tried to help out. Think of the people in your family that have been ungrateful. Think of the people that you encounter in the workplace or even just in your neighborhood that are ungrateful. And you're like, they are terrible to work for. But remember who you're working for. You are working for God. The scriptures tell us to do everything as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord and not men. Everything we do, whether you're going to college, whether you're pursuing a career, do everything as unto the Lord. What does that mean? It means I give my best effort. I don't cut corners. I'm not trying to get away with something because I know that even though my boss might not see it, my professor might not see it, my family may not see it, but I know that God sees it. And what's his HR department like? I don't even want to know. Like, what's that look like? Do you want to be called down to that office? I don't. But if we know that we're doing everything to the best of our ability for the Lord, we know that we'll be honored by Him in the end. He sees everything and rewards His servants accordingly. Now, we've talked about many strategies that Jesus has shared with us. And these strategies go against our human instincts. And oftentimes we go into a situation because we want the blueprint and the strategy for victory, right? Saying, okay, if you're going to give me a strategy, if you're going to give me a blueprint, you're going to give me a battle plan, the idea is I win, right? When we think about these strategies that Jesus gave us, is the strategy to win. Is the game plan to win at all costs. Know these strategies. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been taking notes, you won't win an argument, you won't win a fight, and you won't win a legal battle by following any of these instructions. But that's not the goal of what Jesus is aiming for. If you employ these strategies, you won't win your fights and you won't get the upper hand. No, if you use these strategies, what you might win is you might win someone over to Christ. 
So what's the battle? That, is it being right? Is it fighting back? Listen, don't misunderstand me. There are times you need to stand up for yourself and what is true and what is right and what is honest and defend yourself. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But when it comes to these strategies that Jesus has, the goal is not for us to win and come out on top. The goal is to win someone over to Jesus. What if what the Lord is asking you to do, even though it's difficult from your own perspective, in our human nature we cannot do this, but it's not up to us to accomplish this. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Only the Holy Spirit can help us live this way, and only the Holy Spirit can change a person once they've encountered us and our reaction to them. It is possible. We can do it. It can happen. But we have to recognize and remember that we won't be able to do it in ourselves. You won't be able to do it in your own strength because every thought that you have will kind of come back to what you're used to doing or what you've always done. But if you rely on the Holy Spirit to be that safety gauge or that little barrier that kind of, when you think about doing something, when you think about saying something, Spirit's conviction says you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. And if it gives you just an iota of pause so that you stop what you are going to say or what you are going to do, then that's enough. And when you start doing that with a little bit more regularity, God will do it more in your life. And as a result, the thing that you'll overcome is you'll overcome your enemies with kindness, with goodness, and the Holy Spirit working to bring conviction to them. And don't think that a person's going to get away with anything either. Like, well, that person, if I let them go, they're going to get away with it. No one gets away with anything in God's sight. We'll all stand before God one day. Everyone will be judged according to their works. The scriptures tell us that. So you letting them go means that someone higher up, you just bumped it up the chain. <laughs> and you got someone with more pull and higher authority than you that's going to be handling the situation one day. I'd like to pray for you today that God will help you to put these strategies into practice. And that not that we would win, not that we would come out on top, but that Jesus might be seen and glorified in us and through us. And that God might turn enemies into friends, sinners into saints, non-Christians into Christians. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if that person that you, know, you had such odds against became someone that was an on-fire Christian for the Lord and did great work, great works for the kingdom. What if that happened? What a powerful thing that would be. And that you were the catalyst, the connector, the spark that did it. What a marvelous thought to think of. Can I pray for you today? Will you bow your heads as we pray? Hallelujah. Gracious God, we thank you today that you sent your son Jesus to show us the way. And although it's a peculiar and strange strategy, it's a battle plan that we certainly wouldn't have drawn up. Lord, all we have to do is look to the Old Testament to see that your battle plans often didn't make a whole lot of sense, but you always won. And the purposes of God were accomplished. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, do a changing work in us. That, Lord, it would, we, you would help us to become more like Christ in our responses, in our actions, in our decisions, in the things we say and do. I pray you would help us, Lord God, to be more kind, to be more peaceful, to be loving, to be generous and gracious, Lord God, to, to be patient, to do the things that we need to do. 
to follow your obedience, Lord God, and your commands to us so that you might be glorified. Help us to remember, Lord God, that our reward is not in this life, but in the life that is to come. Help us to remember today, too, Lord, we're not trying to win an argument or win a fight. Lord, your desire is that you would win them over to Christ and that, Lord God, every person would be saved. So today we pray, give us the grace, the strength, and the will to do so. Holy Spirit, help us to have that little bit of a check in our thought process and our decision-making process so that we would pause before we would go ahead and say something or do something that would cast a shadow on you. Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom to handle these things as we walk in the image of your Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.